Well, speaking of venture capitalism, <laughs> Star Trek. <laughs> How much money do you need before you start calling yourself a venture capitalist? Is it a few million? Is it is it like 10 million? Maybe. Is there a limit? I mean, uh, like, is there like a cash limit? At what point you can call yourself that? I mean, I guess, like, if you invest in someone's... Patreon, you can call yourself a venture capitalist. Venture capitalist. All right, can we count you? It's not really so much an investment as it is just a subscription. Depends on what you get out of it, I suppose. That's true. That's true. I guess it, I, yeah. investment is such a broad true. term if you really think about it. Yeah. You can define lots of things as an investment, you know. Because if you invest in, say, like an artist on YouTube or something, you're not necessarily going to see a physical return. Yep. But, but you, you'll you see them continue to be able to make their craft and, yeah. and you'll be able to appreciate them in the long run. Yeah, I, can, I think that's the kind of investment that always strikes me that I always like to see tangible stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. Whether it be arts, craft, or um, I don't, it's just something. That's always kind of what I like to see is where's this? Go, where's this? Where, I want to see this turn it like literally turn into something. Absolutely, me too. I'm I'm very much. What's my rate of return going to be lately? Mm, yeah. <laughs> in all of my projects. So speaking of venture capitalism, uh, <laughs> Star Trek stories. <laughs> <laughs> God, how awesome would it be, Aaron? Um, because you know we were recently on um, Austin's podcast, mm-hmm. and uh, we were talking about. Um, things that would be smart to do for yourself. And and this is a point you were brought up and we talked about it. It's like, you should definitely under, even if you're an anti-capitalist, you should know how all this works. You got to understand it. It's like, it's important. It is. You don't have to be like, you know, an economist. No, you don't have to be Warren Buffett. No, (laughs) please. Please don't be more above it. But to say that, like, you talk to people that say, like, I, oh, I don't understand that business stuff, or I don't worry about the economy stuff. It's like, to me now that, that I, I've been learning more and more about it, it's like, that's, that's kind of like saying, oh, I don't care about reading. I don't care about learning how to write things down. You know, it's that important. Yeah, even if you don't necessarily agree with the philosophy behind your current economic model the fact of the matter is which i don't which well, yeah but the fact of the matter is you live under that system and it affects Whether you your like life, it or not it affects your life in so many ways big yeah. and small and it can learning to understand how things are traded how things are are moving up and down day to day uh you can prepare for it's, those things it's good for yourself and if you're someone who is also like wanting to be someone to work towards changing it again you need to know what you're dealing with mm-hmm. you gotta understand the rules that everybody's playing that being said how great would it be to live in the 24th century during star trek time next generation times when it's like oh money yeah like it's not really it's all taken care of bro yeah and you, it's like whatever you just want to do that's what you do sure if you want to get into that money business it's it's kind of messy and dirty but it's still there but not required anymore it, it is interesting like 
they don't go into a lot of detail onto how Star Trek's economy works. <laughs> um, you got to assume they still have some kind of it, trade route. Oh, well, they talk about like Federation credits. Yeah. And that seems to be primarily in like exchanging. Here is my guess as to how it all works as someone who has watched a lot of Star Trek. Because they have never actually said, here is how it works. There, there are stuff that like goes into it and, and tries to explain it. But there's no canon. Here's just how Star Trek times and money works, or lack thereof. Um, my guess is, is that they essentially live in a system where um, the state, the Federation, slash United Earth... For in, in case of the humans, it essentially it's like all your needs are essentially always met. Everyone's needs. No one is wanting for needs. All the food you could ever want. Shelter. You don't have to think about it. Like housing is provided. Everything seems to be provided for you because they're just like there's no reason why it can't be. We can just make anything now. Um. But. There does seem to be some sort of system where it's like, like capitalism is not the end all be all. Like this is how our system at its core works. It's very much more of a socialist, communitarian, communism thing. But there is still a kind of currency. They do talk about credits. There's uh, a sort of hierarchy as well. Still, like some races have much more influences than others in the Federation, like the Vulcans versus the Andorians, say. the founding members and everything. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes you'll get little lines where it's like, "I bought a house, I bought a boat." So it still seems like there are purchases made, but they always also like money. So whatever their economic system is, it's not quite what we have now. But then there's like credits. I'm like, and it seems to be a co- yeah. Again, I don't know. It seems to be a combination of a. It's some kind of social credit that is funded in two ways. A. Universal basic income, mm-hmm. where it's like just because you're an Earth citizen, Federation citizen, whatever, you just get this many credits. Yeah, it whatever. seems. Like those in Starfleet are getting a few more credits than those that are just taking it easy on her. Right, but it's like, however, if you go do apply yourself in whatever field, it's at, like there is an incentive to get more credits, mm-hmm. and these credits are essentially purchased as social capital for certain luxuries, like vacations or property. Yeah. I bought a house. It's like. You will have housing provided for you. Anything you could ever need is automatically provided. But if you would like, if you want a mansion on the bayou in New Orleans, that you will have to pay for. Mm -hmm. If you want a lake house. But it's not like money. It's, it almost feels like a social credit system where you can still though like build up social credits like I would like to put those credits toward this. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, sure, whatever, you know, it's like if it's not hurting anyone, fine. So there still seems to be some kind of market but it's it, it's there's it's almost almost it's almost purchasing luxuries or in dealing with alien societies like the Ferengi. Right. It seems like 
Yeah, and they, they kind of get into that in DS9 a little bit. Like some officers, some Starfleet officers carry latinum with them. They always have like a few bars of latinum with them or a few right. strips. Bashir and O'Brien are, are, when they're at Quark's, they're paying for the drinks. Mm-hmm. It's not just free. Right. They're paying for the drinks. But they're, but it's, the, you know, like Quark talks about it. It's like they do have replicators, but it's like Quark also has a full kitchen back there somewhere where they're making food for people. Mm-hmm. And there's like replicator credits too. Replicator credits. Replicator credits. There's 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 the replicator drinks, and then there's the real the real drinks, mm-hmm. and then purchasing. They have to purchase time at the Hollow Suites. They're using so it's almost like okay, they're on a place where yeah, the Federation is taking care of all their needs. But again, it's like, but there's quarks. I love going to quarks, and it's fun to gamble. It's fun to pay. It's fun to get actual drinks and food. I have to pay for that though, yeah. and that's where some of their social credits are going. This is all headcanon to some degree, but it seems to work on some kind of level like that, which makes sense when all your needs are met to have some kind of social credit system. In a non-scarce, there's still something. There's still a currency of some kind. Yeah, and part of it is just given to you, and part of it is like, as long as you just apply yourself. You know, it doesn't make sense when there's whole swaths of people that are getting no social credit at all, like yeah. which is what we currently have. We have catching up to do in other areas where before we could ever implement anything like that. There's no need or reason for that. Yeah. Aside from I want to have more power than you. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason for it. I want to like, have. It's not a good one. That's what profit is, is taking advantage. Yeah, over I to, have this over you. Yeah. Yeah. Capitalism doesn't work unless someone is making more than someone else. Yeah. It, it inherently it's an inherently an equal uh, unequal system. Mm-hmm. It by its nature it must be cuz you can hoard all that stuff and keep it for yourself. The unequal distribution I think is a ill effect and uh, a bad symptom that could be avoided. Yeah. But I think also at the same time it's kind of inev- inevitably because humans you know, and you know, talking about—I mean, we are we are going down the rabbit hole here, but mm. um, in terms of actionable items for the present and working within current systems, I think those are the first steps. Is look, we have a capitalistic system that's not changing overnight. No, as much as we would like it to, it's not happening, folks. Yeah, that sucks. That being said we can enact policy to more equally and equitably redistribute wealth generated by capitalism. And I think that's the first step. And and like, just look, if this is the system, fine, but it, it doesn't have to be so unequal. Yeah. You know, why are there billionaires? Why do they have to be a thing? As, as, it is kind of fun to look at that excess, too, and to see what what that amount of power can buy, you know, what that amount of money can buy you, sure, to a certain point, and sure. to to dream about that kind of life, but like in a fantasy sense, yeah. I agree. But to see, especially now, to see what it actually takes to get to that point, and the amount of people you have to step on to get to that point, the amount of people you have to literally screw over and rob blind to get to that point of being like a billionaire. Oftentimes, I can't support it. Oftentimes generationally. Yeah. So many of these people had money to begin with that just turned into more money. It's easier to make money when you have money. 
Rule of capitalism, number one. It's just reaffirmed my belief, learning about the markets, that, that there's no such thing as earning a billion dollars. No. In, in the traditional sense. Right? I earned like, it. Did no, you? Did you? No. It seems like your labor force earned it for you. <laughs> and you, you <laughs> robbed them of their profits and took it all for yourself. That's what a billionaire means. Mm. You know, um, this is a Star Trek podcast. Um, I love this conversation we've been having, though. And my hope is that as we continue to do this show, this is one of my favorite things about doing Star Trek is that it generates these kind of conversations. Mm-hmm. And you can do it in a way that's like fun and engaging and exciting. You know, we were on and we were on Austin's podcast, and we were we were talking about you know living in that um, the you know the value of imagining a future that looks a certain way. And I think one of the things I love about Star Trek, and particularly Star Trek: The Next Generation, um, why it's so on a, an imagination and creative level so interesting is that it tries to imagine what the society a post-scarcity better future would look like mm-hmm. and I think that's valuable again um, we talked about on the podcast like <sighs> some people now kind of look at that kind of thing and scoff it's like but well, that's not realistic it's like Maybe, but this is fiction. Right. This, this is science fiction. And it is. Why Why can't we examine it and, and imagine what that might look like? I, the act in itself, I, I, I would argue, is invaluable. Invaluable. Something to sh- fucking shoot for. It can't just be the cautionary tale. It can't always be be that well that's all there too when you really get into the star trek like the exposition of it yeah gene roddenberry accounted for that yeah. certainly like yeah. he he gave us uh what he think was what he thought was going to happen in the near future basically before we got to star trek times yeah in his mind the 21st century and it looks more like if we're gonna make it it'll be more like a uh, lost in space situation where we're sending out uh, spaceships to to find Colonize. new colonization planets oh my god Rather than a, a nice, happy, oh, aliens found us. Oh, we have warp now. Ah. Yeah, I don't think it's going to play out like that. I don't either. And I on here's my guess. Humans will never encounter intelligent extraterrestrial life. Not, not because it's not out there. Just because no one can get to each other is my guess. What do you think about the government admitting to UFOs? In the last couple of years. UFOs is a very broad term. Yes. Um, they've, even, they've re-termed it now to get away from the UFO stigma. Yeah. Here's the thing. As, as soon as, as soon. Personally, I believe in intelligent extraterrestrial life just in terms of the sheer probabilities. Yeah. In terms of extraterrestrial life actually visiting us if they were advanced uh, here's the thing getting to us across cosmic distances as far as we know currently is 
impossible. So that being said, if an alien intelligence had the capability of doing essentially at this point what we have decided is impossible, they would have to have an understanding of things so much more advanced than us. They don't just understand it. They have the capability of making it happen. They would be so much more advanced than this. There is no reason we are why we would get random sightings of alien spacecraft. That we would be like less than dirt to a species like that. Less than dirt. They they could just my guess is they would have the kind of technology that's capable of essentially just like holographically, mathematically mapping out the entire planet and every living being on it. They wouldn't even have to come into our atmosphere to know everything about us. Mm-hmm. Let alone our own transmissions that we send out. Like there's no reason why we're just catching alien spacecraft just kind of mucking about. I could be wrong. Sure. I could be wrong. My guess is, though, <laughs> that no, that's <laughs> I don't think we're ever going to see it. It's fun to think about, though. Yeah. Yeah. What if there was a species that just got to that little bit of a Goldilocks zone of technology where they could initiate galactic space travel somehow? But I just think the times and distances involved yeah. are staggering. Vast. Vast. Every everything would have to line up mm. perfectly for it to happen. Think about just like the math involved in entering a solar system. Just that from from being outside a solar system. Just dealing, that oh, <laughs> dealing with the new sun's gravity. That's the thing. Well, it's like even just entering Earth's atmosphere requires so much. Mm. Again, it's like we're still figuring shit out. And yeah. like, would they even be able to to get off their ship? You know. Even if we could somehow travel at light speed, it would take four years to get to the nearest star. Again, not to say that there's not... We don't know what we don't know. Yeah. But in terms of our current understanding, as far as we know, it's like... In four years in space, that's tough on the body. You basically... Cryogenic sleep. Oh, yeah, of course. The cryo. The old cryo. Or holodex. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> atrophy don't even worry about it we got the cryo machine um Aaron we've we've been having a lot of good Star Trek talks um I guess we should briefly talk about I mentioned that we did recently watch the Batman and we're not going to tell you what we thought about it here at all no <laughs> you should go back and listen to that episode it was really good it's, I it's, thought it was pretty it's good. It's our longest episode. Certainly. Yeah. There's a pizza party there, so make sure you get pizza and strap the fuck in. Um, but as good as Batman is, this, this show is definitely about Star Trek. And Aaron and I have been sitting here drinking and smoking and been having a lot of good times talking about Star Trek. So I guess we should we should get into what we're going to be covering next in the future in the future post batman in case you're new to the show we should just explain aaron cole and i are in the middle of going on a 100 episode list journey watch about watch about (laughs) 
We are watching, folks, the entire Star Trek franchise in 100 episodes. This is not a perfect list. It was never designed to be a perfect list. It's designed to be an entertaining list, mm-hmm. a feeling, a yeah. thought-provoking list. I thought has been put into it. Certainly, thought has been put into it. It's a very specific list. The amount of effort Jaron has put into the, this show, you'd think he was getting paid. He's not. I just love doing it. Yeah. Um, this whole start. This whole show started because I wanted to share the stories of Star Trek, literally. But I, I didn't want it to just be me talking about it, because because so much of the love for me is the sharing, and it's like, I know Aaron and I, we, we can talk about this stuff all day, and never get sick of it, mm-hmm. and then we can get some of our best friends to come in and talk about it, but not just about Star Trek, and that's one of the things I love about Star Trek is that, it's just somehow provokes, bigger conversations, not exclusively. Not always, but generally speaking, it just gives us stuff to talk about. Yeah. And that's so fun to me. It's like, we can just watch it and like, I have things <laughs> to say. <laughs> it really consistently, I think it gives us really fun things to like poke fun at too. Oh my like God. Like campy moments and silly acting choices, stuff like that. 4,000%. Yeah. 4,000%. Um. So yeah, in case you're new to the show, we are watching through a list of 100 episodes. We're calling it Venturing Through the Universe. It's basically us venturing through the Star Trek universe. Looking at the whole thing. And we've mentioned this before, but we're giving a lot to Next Gen. Just because I think we've agreed that like of all the shows, Next Gen is the one that leaves the biggest mark an impression mm-hmm. so there's going to be a lot of next gen the the chunk we just recently watched was all next gen this next junk is going to be all next gen we're 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 going through a lot of next gen folks but again i would argue next generation is essentially the linchpin of the whole franchise um and in our last selection of episodes we took a look at the growing pains of the next generation it was the very beginning of what would become golden age Trek. Uh, three shows were on at the same time. Oh my God. Golden age Trek. In case you're new, it's that giant middle era of the franchise that lasts from 1987 to 2005. And it spans hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of episodes and movies <laughs> and then movies. Um, so it's a huge chunk, but so it's all it is all based around next gen. Mm-hmm. It's basically as much as we call it Golden Age Trek, it, you might as well call it Next Generation Trek, mm-hmm. even though all the shows that take place during this time have their own identity. It's New Age Trek. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> Roddenberry's like, yeah, it is new. It, it, it's it, it's very much New Age Trek. <laughs> Thanks, Gene. Sexy spiritual stuff. It's great. The kids will love it. Kids will love it. Um. So we just had the little beginning to Golden Age Trek, mm-hmm. but here's the thing, folks. Golden Age Trek does not start at its best. And what we just watched through was the Rocky times, but we had the blast doing it. Oh yeah, it was a riot. <laughs> 
for what's coming up next, uh, we are moving forward into Golden Age track, and specifically more Next Generation, because this is the Lynchpin show. Um, this next episode selection we are calling the TNG Renaissance. Um, this is when this era actually starts to become a golden age. (laughs) (laughs) They just, they they just took a second to get there. Mm -hmm. And, and to be honest, folks, it does not remain a golden age. It's just, I think you can generally refer to it as such, but it's not all golden. No, how could it be? There's just, we talked about this before, way too many episodes per season. Too many. And all these shows for everything to be a hit, right? Yeah. Impossible. 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 Um, you know. What? Writing 26 episodes. Uh, hard. <laughs> very hard. Podcast. My God. What? <laughs> Crazy. Next week, we're getting Christopher Walken to come talk about the TNG Renaissance. Thank you for having me. Um, Great to be here. I'm actually really looking forward to doing this with you, Aaron. Mm. This is almost what I've been waiting to get to. I'm like, (laughs) once we start getting into this fucking shit, it's just like, it's so good. (laughs) Um, For this next selection of episode, our third selection of episodes on this 100 episode list that we're doing. Um, yeah, so TNG Renaissance. So TNG Next Generation gets off to a rocky start. A rocky start that we've enjoyed. Rocky reimagining. Rocky reimagining. Um, it did well enough in the ratings. The fan critical response was mixed at best. Sure. Um, there was also a lot of turmoil behind the scenes during all this time. Lots of turmoil behind the scenes. Um, in case any of you have never seen it, I would highly recommend checking out the documentary Chaos on the Bridge. It's a hosted by William Shanner. I think it's on Netflix. I could be wrong. I think it's on Netflix, but look it up. Chaos on the Bridge. The whole documentary is about the first two seasons of Next Generation behind the scenes. And it's a disaster behind the scenes. Um. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, we just caught like a little clip of it a bit ago. And, and my goodness, the drama. The is, drama. You know, a little bit of drama within a cast can be conducive to like an artistic environment. Not that amount of drama. That, that's just toxic. So much drama. Oh and, and so much of it is because of Gene Roddenberry. Oh, no. If we're being honest. And during the first season, he had a lawyer that helped him just heavily rewrite scripts on a dime. And the, all these writers like, dude, dude, come on. But he was like, no, it's my vision. My, my vision, my show. My vision, my show. So, as the show goes on after season one, Gene Roddenberry's health declines. Um, and all the writers are like, oh, no. Oh, no, Gene. Oh, man, I feel terrible. Yeah. He can't be as actively involved in the show anymore. 
So in this TNG renaissance, we're actually going to look at a couple new showrunners coming in to change the show up. Right the ship. Right the ship. Um, it takes a second, but they get there. Um, that's essentially what we're going to be looking at during this whole time period. This is the renaissance. Like It's not just like this is the period of time where it's like we're, we're going to go from here to here. Specifically, what we're going to be looking at in this next section of the podcast, the TNG Renaissance, is essentially a transition period when the next generation goes from what it was to essentially one of the best TV shows of all time. It awakens. The awakening. Um, so um, this is going to be another 10-episode list like we just did. Um, it's going to be composed of episodes from the second, third, and fourth seasons of the show. Um, definitely a broader stroke we're going to be looking at here, but we're, I think that's the right call though. You're going to see, there's going to be like, here's how they recontextualize the show. I think that's going to be our big theme coming forward. Recontextualization. There you go. Recontextualization. We had a reimagining. Now we're recontextualizing in the Renaissance. In the Renaissance. In the Renaissance. And here's the thing: um, this selection is also going to be a little unique compared to the last two we've done. Mm. It's going to be made up of a few duologies. Oh, yeah, a few to-be-continueds? Not necessarily to-be-continueds, but we're going to be pairing episodes up together. Okay, okay. Uh, For those of you who are with us in our first section of the podcast, Classic Trek, we have done this before. We did a a Spock twofer in the middle of that chunk. We watched a mock time and followed it up with Journey to Babel. And it was our like, let's take a look at Spock for two episodes. These ep- two episodes are not necessarily like directly linked, but we made it a little twofer we looked at. Mm-hmm. We're going to be getting a few of those this season. It's going to be a different kind of format gotcha. in terms of just how we're going to be doing it. A lot of kind of paired episodes. Sure, sure. So we get might get like a double data a double day to Jordy combo, maybe. Who knows what we're going to be getting? Who knows? Um, I can't wait. Um, so, um, yeah, there's a few little duologies, little twofers we got coming up. Um, we're going to be starting the TNG Renaissance with a little twofer that I'm calling the season twofer. <laughs> the season two for the season two for um we're going to be looking specifically at two episodes from the second season of star trek the next generation they're going to be the only two episodes from tng's second season that we look at during this list um and how do i contextualize this um for those who don't know the second season of tng is fairly similar to the first. Um, yeah, yeah. 
it's generally regarded as a mixed bag that second season um but the second season is also when you start to see the first little glimmers of the renaissance taking place Mm -hmm. the first little like the show could be this the show could be this and it's like more of that more of that more of that and then that's what the show starts to lean into in later seasons um so we're going to be taking we're going to be taking a look at two little genuine gems from the second season. These are not just like these are good for the second season. These are actually just genuine classics from Star Trek the Next Generation. And then we're going to be going on from there, but that's what we got coming up next, a little season 2 for. That's how we're going to kick this whole thing off. Um I'm actually really looking forward to both of these episodes. Um the first episode of our season 2 for the episode that that's going to be kicking off this whole little chunk, the TNG Renaissance. It's a little episode called "The Measure of a Man." Mm. I don't know if you have you seen this one, Aaron. Probably. I'm so, so bad at titles and names. This is the one that Data gets put on trial for his personhood. Oh yeah, by the crew. Hmm. Oh, yeah, I remember this one very well. Um, this is considered to be one of the all-time classics of the show um this is going to be a fun one to start with i think what tng next generation becomes famous for are their little weekly morality plays Mm -hmm. the show really leans into that and i think measure the measure of a man is really one of those first little episodes it's like we're gonna do this more these this tight little morality play that focuses on one of the characters and we have to there's some personal thing involving them but then there's also this larger ethical moral question that's being asked in the episode which is just like the format now for a lot of shows yeah and i feel like tng next generation is big pioneer in that kind of Mm -hmm. how do you really do this so i'm really looking forward to it um also, our good friend, um, Ellen, Ellen Marie Lewis. Awesome. Is going to be coming back on the show t- to Excellent. talk about that one with us. Um, Ellen's going to be on a little journey of discovering Next Generation for the first time. So she's going to come watch one episode from each season. I guess she didn't hate it the first time. So no, she, she liked it. So and we're going to be giving her a little better taste of... <laughs> of the show than in Canada Farpoint. It gets better, we promise. It gets better. Please come back. My God. Um, Aaron, any little thoughts or feelings? or? Before? Gosh, you know, like, it's the first season has been fun. It sparked a lot of good conversation. Mm-hmm. It's been good for the podcast. Mm-hmm. It's been good for our show in general, mm-hmm. pushing it forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm so excited to get to the good stuff. The real good stuff. Yeah, man. Not academically good, genuinely good. Objectively good television, but, yes. But, you know, but here's the thing. It's not going to be all perfect. I'm no. going to tell you right now. Like, Part of what this is going to be is like, it's not all incredible. But here's the, genu- but here's the general arc that they're going up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the quality goes up over yeah. time. There's oh, yeah. There's dips, but it goes up. You just got to deal with those little bit of drawdowns. I'm just going to say... S- this little 10 episode chunk some will be fine 
and some will be the best episodes in all of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Period. Not just next gen. Star Trek. That, yeah, period. that's what I mean when I say I'm excited. It's like, yeah, the coming up is like just like ooh, diamonds. Some all time classics. Oh, some good stuff in there. Some really good stuff. Uh, and I'm looking forward to it a lot. Uh, well, until then, uh, we'll see you guys all next week uh, for our first episode of the TNG Renaissance. The measure of a man. We'll have Ellen on to talk about it with us. I think we're going to have a good time. Yes, sir. And until then, um, may you all live long and prosper. Peace and long life. Yeah. Peace and long life. I love peace and long life. It's really good. Peace and long life. And you at home say live long and prosper. Yeah. Peace and long life. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to share us your own Star Trek story, you can email us at storiedstartrek at gmail.com, or you can visit our Discord server. You can find us by clicking on the link in the show description.